Hello, I'm Sam Delaney, and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. My guest this week is Chris Difford, founding member of the seminal British pop group Squeeze and writer of some of the great pop singles of our lifetime. Call for Cats, Tempted, Pulling Muscles from a Shell, Take Me, I'm Yours. Chris wrote lyrics with such a deft beauty that people have compared his partnership with Glenn Tilbrook to that of Lennon and McCartney. I never knew until recently that Chris had been an addict at the height of his fame in the 80s. Perhaps it was those demons that prompted probably my favourite squeeze lyric of all time from Up the Junction, in which he laments, The devil came and took me from bar to street to bookie. A horribly vivid and familiar little vignette for a lot of us who have struggled with bad habits. I was delighted that Chris was able to speak to me for the podcast this week. It's a little short and sweet, this one, because he very kindly managed to squeeze me in amidst the day of rehearsals for Squeeze's forthcoming tour. Chris is 29 years sober and has so many wise reflections on the journey he's been on. I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. Chris, welcome to The Reset. Good to be here. Chris, I'm delighted to have you as a guest. I am a fan of yours for many, many years, um, and yet, I was, to be honest, unaware of your story of, um, you know, addiction and recovery until we both, our paths crossed, we were both involved in the um, More Than My Past campaign, uh, which supports people who are recovering addicts, amongst other things. And, and I learned more about your story. Is it something that you, you were private about to begin with, or have you always been very open about your experiences of that? I've been pretty open, to be honest. Some people at my local AA meeting uh, did not approve of me talking about it outside of the group, but I thought it was important because how else is anybody going to get the message if you don't show a positive light on where you've been and what you've done? Did you, as someone you know with a very public profile, did you, when you first went into rehab, feel at all uncomfortable with sharing your story though in those early years of sobriety i know i, I did uh, and some people do i did not feel uh inhibited about telling my story because i didn't feel that um it would be genuine if i didn't uh, participate in telling the truth really um so to be able to share openly and honestly is really what I recommend to anybody who wants to get sober. What was it, do you feel, that that led you down the path into drinking too much and the other stuff that goes with that? Was it, you know, the sort of well-documented sort of lifestyle in the rock and roll industry? Or do you feel that there was something, even before you ever got involved in, in the music business, that was in you that would have led you to be being an addict? It's quite possible that it's handed down through the generations. My grandparents were publicans and alcoholics, um, and their parents were also uh, big drinkers. So it goes back, you know, well over a hundred years, I suppose. The experience of people in um, in my family who have liked to tipple. Um, the industry that I'm in, I suppose, at the beginning was very full of temptation and you can't help but uh, enjoy the fruits of your labour after a show by getting pissed and taking drugs. 
And was that just because, you know, it was fun and the fun got out of hand? Or were there other elements? Did, did fame and pressure and the pace sort of drive you towards anxiety or, or insecurity or that sort of thing? Um, I don't think there was much fun in it. It was kind of just the job. That's what it is. That right? You, know, like, you don't, you don't look like, back and think, even to begin with, before it got out of hand, you thought, this is well, fantastic. I, this is the rock and roll lifestyle. No, I don't think I had time to think like that. I just did what I did and followed my instincts, which was to just get pissed every night. And I think that the hardest thing about all of that was, was, um, I suppose in reflection was not really being in contact with yourself because you you kind of go off and become somebody that you're clearly not. So what were the circumstances that, that led you to seek help and go into recovery? Um, a few of my friends had got into recovery before I did and so I um, was interested in the fact that they looked amazing and um, were... Uh, living a very healthy lifestyle, which I was kind of envious of, I suppose. Um, I wanted what they had, but I didn't want what they had. It took some doing. Um, I, I spent the best part of 18 months going around treatment centres, um, being interviewed about going in and then deciding that it wasn't for me and that I, wasn't, I didn't have a problem. Um, and... You know, the addict is a very clever mind. And even though everybody that I spoke to said, yes, you definitely need to come in, you know, all the time I was just making up excuses. What, so what changed? Um, rock bottom, I suppose, and not being able to make decisions for myself and um, good friends who had already been in recovery picked me up literally and took me off. Um, and um, left me at a treatment centre, which was scary at first, but, you know, very quickly it became home, and everything that I learned then has become part of my life. When was that, Grace? What year was it? It was 39 years ago this week. What what's the recovery and, and learning experience been like since then? I mean, I, I'm six years sober and I often feel like I'm just in the foothills. You know, I'm only just starting to get my head around what hmm. what the person I was before and, and the sort of life that I want to live now. Uh, 39 years feels like a very long time to me. What what was your progression in terms of just opening your mind? Sorry, 29 years. Um, oh, sorry, 29 years has flown by, really, and... Um... Uh, the journey continues. I mean, it's it's a day by day adventure and day by day reprieve. Um, you know, it's a wonderful program and it's been extraordinary during lockdown how people have clung to it like a life raft on Zoom to keep sane. So it, it's it, it works on many levels. Do you so you, you you go to meetings? Do you also do other forms of therapy? Um, I have had times when I've had a counsellor, um, and um, 
I've had lots of counsellors. Um, and once you get into a good rhythm with somebody, it can last for a few years, uh, maybe more. And I found counselling really important. Um, and that having that connection is vital. Do you, do you go into your past? Is that is that a big part of you understanding yourself and, and what led you down the paths you took? No, there's no point going into the past because that's been and gone. Um, I'm just trying to deal with what happens during the day um, and in the surrounding uh, islands of what is today. So I don't really go into the past. There's no point. Um, and there's no point going into the future either. I'm just trying to... Uh, figure out what's going on now and what about your day-to-day -day? aside from your creativity which I'm I'd like to get onto and I assume plays a big part in it but you know I'm looking at you now I can hear the beautiful birds and, and nature outside your door there you look in a, in a wonderful spot in a wonderful den you look healthy what is your lifestyle what is the lifestyle that helps you the key things that help you get through your day-to-day -day and enjoy life Boringly, it's a regime that I've had ever since I was in uh, treatment 29 years ago. It's exactly the same every day, same process, roughly. Um, serenity prayer, meditation, food at, at the right time, if possible, uh, walks, um, writing, uh, being. Um, all of those things are really important to keeping a straight, sober mind. So do you stick to quite a strict sort of structure and, and, and regime in, in your days then? Yes, most people that I, mostly the people that I live with are very frustrated about that, but that's what it's like. <laughs> do you find that a lot of fellow addicts do the same thing? I mean, I, I personally, I still roll with the punches a lot. I try to pay attention to the way that I'm feeling and, and respond to those feelings when they, mm -hmm. when they pop up, if I think they're going to be negative. I'm yet to create that kind of structure for my days. I mean, I can understand why it must work. Uh, is that just your personality just fits your way of doing things? Yeah, I guess so. Um, structure is important. It, it may be repetitive and boring, but that's important to me anyway. Um, what about your creativity? How did... Um, your addictions impact your creativity in in the later stages, and and how did sobriety? What how did sobriety affect it? Um, sobriety for a while made it clearer, I suppose, to understand what I was writing about. It connected me to feelings that I didn't have previously, so that was really uh, interesting and important. Um, when I was using. I didn't know any better, so it was just what it was. And I, I look back at what I've written, I'm very proud of it, whether I was drunk or sober. So um, I don't think that's the point. I think the point is just being um, who you are and uh, owning the journey that you've had, for mm. better or for worse. It's interesting, though, that a lot of people, and I don't know if this was the case with you, but a lot of people who are creative while they are using one of the voices, the, the the crafty addiction voices in your mind, tell you that it is an essential part of your creativity and that there are certain feelings that only get opened up when you are in a state of inebriation. 
I know that was a voice inside my head. Do you you think that was something you experienced? No, I don't. I don't. I'm not prone to voices telling me one thing or another. Um, You know, if there are voices in my head, they've got to be paying the rent. (laughs) Um, So what about um, music and the role that plays, both creating it and just listening and engaging to it? I personally... One of the most powerful things in in my recovery, really, day to day, was just giving up listening to any news or sport or anything t- talking on the radio and devoting all of my uh, listening time to, to music. It's a powerful force. Is, is it? Does it play a big role, obviously, in your professional life, but just in your personal life, listening to music? Does it help with recovery? Well, it can do. I don't listen to much music because I just um, am in music, so I'm surrounded by it all the time. Um, I have very little free time to listen to music other than when I'm in the car, and for the last 15 months I haven't been in the car, so I've just been sitting, um, working or writing or listening to other people writing, and that's been that's filled me with joy, really. Mm. So the the process of writing is very therapeutic for you. It is. It's like having a therapy session mm. with oneself, and it's a lot cheaper. What's your advice to people? I mean, there might be people who, who are already engaged in creative work, or maybe some who've, who've never regarded themselves as as creative. As, as someone who's written so so many words and songs that have touched people's hearts, you know, can you advise the rest of us on on how? creativity can can be utilized in that way and how you can open your mind and your heart to to it um well i believe there's a song in everybody and it's just about having the discipline to sit down and write down your feelings really and you do that in step four anyway but um i think it's important to be creative if you can it's a good channel it's healthy um you know, I've just been this week working with people who've never written songs or not, uh, and th- at the end of the week they've written incredible songs. So it's just about um, challenging yourself. So you think that just the process of challenging yourself and thinking through those things and trying to examine your own feelings mm. is where the therapy comes from? I think so. I think you've got to dig deep, and when you dig deep you get to the sweet spot and um you can do that by writing that's for sure what what other bits of advice do you have for people who are i mean a lot of people who listen to this podcast are struggling with maybe drink or something else and, and they're not quite sure whether or not they need to cut down give up seek help not seek help people are, are so often stuck in a hinterland um in purgatory and and what sort of advice do you offer to people like that? I'm not really good at giving advice. I think if people are listening to this podcast or a podcast about alcohol, then they're listening because they've already got a problem and they need to deal with it or, or they're trying to glean some information that they haven't had before. And I think it's it's wise just to listen to people um, and, and seek out the... Um, similarities not the differences really um i'm not really good at giving advice i'm good at kind of holding my hand out and saying can i help you but um Mm. 
I think advice sometimes can be uh, taken the wrong way, especially mm. by an alcoholic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are there are there just tips you have for people for, for mental health? You talked about your own regime. I mean, you know, tell us what you read, what you eat, how you engage with other things like exercise or nature. Uh, well, I live in nature. I live in the country. I walk. Um, I think just, you know, we're human beings and I think we don't do the being bits very well. Um, so my advice to people is to be who you are and to embrace your shortcomings and take them with you wherever you go and not to be dogged down by um, what you may feel on any one occasion, but just to be who you are. I know you say you don't think about the future, um, which is, is, you know, very wise, I guess. But what do you feel, how positive do you feel about your life now and where it's headed? Well, I don't know where it's heading, um, so I can't think about that. But um, I feel very positive about um, things. I feel that, um, um, you know, retirement is not around the corner. Um, the next drink is not around the corner. So everything's good, really. I mean, I'm just... You know, I'm just like a tree. I'll sort of one one minute I'm growing leaves, and the next minute they're falling to the ground, and that's just the, the circle of life. And I think uh, that's a beautiful thing because I've never always felt like that. And and what about um, the other stuff that now that lockdown's coming to an end? I know that you're playing live at Christmas. I'm coming to see you with my son. Um, supporting madness so I know that you're going to be back out on the road what what else have, have you got planned over the coming months post lockdown just to be on the road really um, going to America touring over there touring over here with madness um, I think that's quite enough really for a man of my age <laughs> but, uh, how difficult has it been you know as someone who's who's toured and performed for so many years how difficult has this period been in, in lockdown and how much of a difference is it going to make to your mental health being back out there? To be honest with you, I've really enjoyed it. Um, the break <laughs> has been amazing. And I've never been at home this for this amount of time. My suitcase is normally in the car, but it's not. And, you know, so it's it's been okay. I mean, it's not retirement, as I say, and it's not the next drink. So it's fine. Um, I, it's, it's uh, you know, I've felt for lots of people, and I still do, who haven't had work or haven't seen their family. But for me, um, it's been okay, to be honest. Can I just ask you before I let you go about your, if it's not too nosy of me, about the room you're sitting in now, because it is it is really captivating me. Um, it just looks like the, the sort of dream spot for so many people, <laughs> like to have this sort of den. Is this out in your garden separate to your house? It's... It's um, it's about hundred yards from my dog. <laughs> yeah, I can hear him. He's, a, he's a, he sounds closer. <laughs> I know she's a nightmare. Um, and um, yeah, I'm just up just up the garden path. So this is your creative spot that you built, is it? Yeah, this is where you get all your work done. I've been in here for fifteen months, and it seems to be okay. 
Oh, it was a dog. Was it a lockdown um, puppy in purchase? Oh, the puppy, yeah. but also also the room you're in. No, no, I've had it for a couple of years. Ah, okay. Well, lockdown puppy, uh, lockdown creative space. It's uh, fantastic. It's it's wonderful to speak to you. Inspiring. And I really yeah. appreciate you sparing the time to talk to me today, Chris. Thanks sure. ever so much. Thanks, Sam. A story about the dog. That's all right. It adds colour and texture to the old thing, doesn't it? I love yeah. dogs. <laughs> all right. Good I really appreciate you, your time. Thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. Keep coming back. See you later. Bye now. Cheers. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go. Chris Difford, genius songwriter, recovering addict, a measured man of inspiring words. I hope you agree. I'm in the middle of reading his autobiography, which came out a couple of years ago. It's called Some Fantastic Place and covers his childhood on a South London council estate, his successes in and out of Squeeze, and more on his addiction and recovery story. I can highly recommend it. That's it for this week. Please subscribe to The Reset if you don't already at samdelaney.substack.com. You get this weekly podcast plus a weekly newsletter that goes out on Friday. And coming soon, I'll be introducing The Reset Extra, a paid subscription that will also give access to uncut and ad-free versions of the pod, video content, a bonus newsletter, and access to a member's community forum. It'll be great. Keep an eye out for it on my socials. I'm Delaney Man on Twitter, and on Instagram, I'm The Reset Sam. Until next time, thanks for listening, everyone. Be lucky, and remember, don't let the dickheads get you down.